I was cutting grass because I worked at a landscaping company. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to mention the name of the landscape company, but they were a workshop. And uh, we were in the part of, where's that? Bicentennial Mall. You know, we're at, like on the shady end, on the real shitty end up there by the liquor store. We had, uh, we'd been cutting grass and it was so hot that the boss was like, we're, we're going home early. Mm-hmm. Like it was like four o'clock and we were already heading home. And, um, when we pulled out of there, dude, we pull up to the red light and I look to the right of us and there's this girl and this dude there and this girl has no shirt on. And, um, this dude's just like poking her boob. Just poking like, it with his finger? Yeah, dude. He's like flicking it, man. Did you have real floppy? Yeah. Okay. He's like just like messing with it. Oh. And uh, it was super weird because she was staring at us. Dead, like staring at us. Like, yeah. Like a freaking mouse. Were your pants up or down? They were up. Okay. I'll, I'll let you get away yeah, with that. Yeah, we, but were, we were all watching this, dude. It was like a moment of silence where everything stopped and we were all watching. I mean, how do you not watch that? Yeah. Well, she was staring at us like in her eyes. Broad daylight. Broad daylight. No top. No top on. No bra. Just him flicking her boob. And we're sitting there. (sighs) And then the dude looks at us and it was like, he started running at us and yelling at us. He's like, you didn't see nothing. And he was like running at us, like screaming at us. Was he a big old fat guy or was he? No, he was like a rip. Uh, and she was, give was, me some more details on her. They were both African-American. Um, okay. I don't know why that's relevant, but okay. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking, was she, uh, a big lady? No, she, oh, okay. She was like a normal sized person. Just had, like sloppy yeah a couple of sandbags yeah like they weren't like big yeah um okay i just didn't know if he was embarrassed no but he he was shirtless and she was shirtless they both had like nicer clothes on Mm -hmm. they didn't they were definitely homeless but they didn't look homeless Mm -hmm. they were standing in front of that liquor store and that whole street right there is just a lot of crazy stuff's happened there with us but is Jefferson Street? Yeah, it's Jefferson Street. It's right there where that liquor store's at, dude. Right and where that, the tornado went through. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that whole street's just like fucked. So that guy's running at you. He's screaming. Yeah, he's running at us. And then like it's a red lot, and he's close. Mm-hmm. Like they're not that far away from us at all. And he's just hustling, dude. And so my boss takes off, runs the red light, because this dude's chasing us, and he's running down the street after us, and he's like gaining. On a moving vehicle. <laughs> and luck, like we hit another red light there at the corner. I don't think I even told you this. And he's like trailing us still. And we cut the corner and we just book it. Broadcasting straight from Big Rock Candy Mountain. I'm Zachary Lehman. I'm Taylor Perryman. How can people find you, Taylor? They can find me on Instagram as the underscore poptimist. Facebook, Taylor Berryman. Uh, share and like my, my podcast, The Poptimist. You can find it on all the major streaming platforms. I'm also on Twitter. Okay. What's your name on Twitter? 
Dub Optimus. DA? Yeah. Gotcha. You have a song out too. Yes. Uh, Gina, Gina, Gina by the Poptimist. I'm producing a couple projects as well that are probably going to be seeing the light of day here sometime in the next couple of months. Working with a couple different artists and finally some shit's about to come out. You can find me on uh, Instagram, Zachary Lehman. On uh, Twitter, at Writing Lehman. And then uh, I also have a book out, Nigh, I-A, uh, N-I-G-H. Uh, go buy that, please. And uh, I also write in the media, but none of that shit's worth reading. So today we're talking about a little show called Californication. One of our favorites, dude. Definitely one of my favorites. Rewatching it made me want to go back and just watch the whole thing again. The same, man. Yeah. I, had the, I had that same response to it because I was just like, damn, this show's so fucking good. It's just, and what I loved about it too, it was on uh, Showtime when it ran. It ran for, I think, seven seasons. A lot of those shows are so, they're like an hour long and they're so slow. This one was just, even though they dealt with heavy shit, it was in and out, man. Yeah. You know, it was a half hour every episode. It was I love this show. Yeah. So uh, the episode we're talking about is uh, season three, episode five. I think it's called Slow Happy Boys. Slow Happy Boys. Which, what do you think that title's in reference to? Uh, I was actually, I don't know. I want to talk about that at the end. Okay. Because I wonder if after talking to you, I'll have an idea. Do you have a theory about it? No. Okay. Me neither. So uh, just some brief background on the show for anyone who hasn't seen it. Uh, David Duchovny, Fox Mulder from the X-Files plays basically a middle-aged washed-up writer with uh, uh, a, a, a daughter and a ex-wife who wasn't really an ex-wife. Who He's trying to basically... His baby mama. His baby mama. He's trying to mend those relationships, and he's also... It's, it's basically... It's a show about a midlife crisis. Yeah. You know, but it's a midlife crisis basically put on steroids because there's a fantasy element to the show. That's the one thing that, especially like gaining some insight on life and just living, because I watched his show when... We were in high school. When yeah, me too. On. Yeah. So that's early to watch this show. Yeah. There's so many big themes here. Because it's it's the show really is a, a fantasy of like the rock star Hollywood lifestyle. Because right. Hank Moody, David Duchovny is this uh, rock star writer. And one of the things, I mean, the thing that this show seemed to be known for the, the most when it was on was basically wall to wall sex scenes. Um usually played for humor, but Tom Capino is the guy who created it and David Duchovny who produced it too. And he directed some of it. They were open and honest about the fact that this was a midlife crisis, but they were trying to add a fantasy element to Hank Moody where it was like, okay, so he's going through this. How much harder would it be if, you know, attractive women were just throwing themselves at him all the time. And you, you get that after a while in the show, you're like, you know, you can definitely, you can live a Hank Moody lifestyle. It would be very hard to get, women who are as attractive as Cal on Californication, you know, that's kind of the fantasy element of it all. Plus the fact that, you know, he's again, a rock star writer, which almost never exists anymore. Yeah. But, uh, so we'll get into it. Uh, so basically this episode starts with, uh, Hank Moody His the most re important relationship in the show, I think is with his daughter. Becca. Becca. Yes. And he's at an airport. He's saying goodbye to her. Uh, she's going to New York to see her mother because her mother's staying in New York right now. She doesn't want to go. He convinces her to go. So basically, it's a it's a good uh, opening for the show because it's basically a transition. He drops off his daughter at the very same airport right before he actually sees this guy. We hear him on the phone talking to his baby mama, Karen, and talking about how this old friend is coming to L.A. And 
He doesn't really want to see him because this is a guy he hasn't seen probably since like high school or a little after high school. He's just like, I have nothing to talk to a him buddy about. from back home. Which is Long Island, New York. Long Island, yep. There, of course, the show's called Californication, so he's been in L.A. He has a successful career. Mm-hmm. And this is a friend from his life from growing up. And it, it sounds like, too, that they stopped talking way before he came to L.A. Yeah. Because we see in the show he was a moderately successful writer in New York, kind of like a cultish writer. And then basically one of his books, the more background on the show, basically one of his books got picked up and turned into a film. God hates us all. God hates us all turned into a crazy little thing called love. Yeah. So it was nothing like what he wrote and they watered it down completely, which is part of his misery. You know, he gets all this money for it, but he fucking absolutely hates it. Uh, so yeah, this friend comes right after the phone call. I mean, this, this friend arrives played by uh, Kevin Corrigan, who great fucking character actor, dude. He I pops think up in one, everything. One man. of the greatest character actors of of his generation. I think so, too. He's never really been a lead guy, but I mean, he's in everything. Buffalo Pineapple Express. Pineapple Express, Buffalo 66, big fan. I actually think a lot of people would know him from the sitcom. Um, was it Grounded for Life? Grounded for Life, yeah. That he, was on He played the, uh, the brother on that show, the uncle. Yeah, I remember the, the lead actor of that, Donald Logue, who's another great character actor. He actually said he he literally uh, got Kevin Corgan hired on that show because he thought he was such a great actor. He's like, he deserves a steady paycheck for, you know, five years or however long they went. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so he, sh- he shows up. He's the friend. You immediately see the difference between him and Hank. He's dressed, uh, his name's Slaws on the show. Yeah. Or his nickname. Uh, Slaws is dressed, you know, He's dressed like a guy from Long Island. Hank even says at one point, "Yeah, you're dressed like a fucking landscaper." And he says, "I, I am a land, yeah, I am a landscaper." And it's it's great too because uh, he he basically says to him, which is kind of a compliment and an insult. He goes, "Oh my god, it looks like not a day has passed since 1981." But obviously, this guy looks like he's aged. So Hank's more like, "Jesus, you're the same fucking guy. What's yeah. up?" And then we we already get a glimpse of like this guy's not going to be able to handle himself in L.A. Because he goes, well, you know, you look like a faggot with a smoke jacket on because Hank's dressed very L.A. Yeah. You know, uh, so they see each other. This guy, we find out basically called uh, Hank in a panic, had something he wants to talk about. Hank goes, you know, what is it? He goes, we'll talk about it later. And he just wants to get fucking wasted and get laid while he's out in, in L.A. So next thing you know, we're at a bar, very L.A. bar. And uh, this is when we really see what kind of guy. Slaws is because uh, Hank's attempting to talk to him. Slaws has no interest in talking about his kids and his wife. And we do find out that basically he married what I assume is his high school sweetheart. Uh-huh. Had three kids, started this landscaping business, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Hank ended up leaving. And in the in that scene, too, he looks very out of place. Yeah. Everyone's like, dressed. Every, yeah. every, every uh, scene that he's in, he looks out of place because he looks like just a blue collar East coast guy yeah. dressed like a blue collar East coast guy. And you, you see him and he sticks out like a sore thumb at this bar that they're at, which is like this trendy LA bar. Everyone's dressed like they're out on a fucking audition. Shit. like Yeah. That. Even Hank, who's not trying to look like that. Yeah. Uh, so then we see, but this guy does not let that hold him back. Cause he's just incessantly hitting on sexually women. harassing. Yeah, I w- yeah, not even hitting on women like it's sexual harassment. This dude. is shit that like I would almost if I heard a guy say the shit he says to girls, I would have to ask the girl like, "Are you okay? Do you do you need to call the cops or something?" Well, at, at one point when they're at that bar, he like he says he with flags, the finger, he's one finger over. <laughs> 
Yeah. And he's, what does he say? He said, oh, he I says, made you come with one finger. Imagine what I can do with. Yeah. With the rest. With the rest. Which is like, those are lines you hear when you're like 13, 14. When you're an adult, you know shit like that. Not only doesn't work, it's you're basically not treating a human being like a human being. Well, the, I think that's also a guy who hasn't been single in a while. Oh, yeah. Because he's been married this whole time. Yeah. Well, he says uh, basically him and his wife, who Hank says was like the star of their school, she the was hottest the hot girl. Chick. Yeah. Uh, he basically says, oh, that's over. We got in a fight and I left. That's all he has to say about it. But yeah, seeing him do that. I mean, can you even imagine? Have you ever used any sort of like pickup line on a girl ever? Not like that. No, that's I mean, that's crazy. That's straight sexual harassment. Yeah, and Hank kind of freaks out. He has to apologize. Yeah, he's like, this and he's g- like what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, he's like... <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we're already seeing the differences between them. Uh, then we go to a scene, which I guess we'll go over briefly, because people... The main story here is Slaws and Hank. Yeah. We have a scene with Charlie, who is Hank's book agent, and his best friend. Yes. Good old Charlie Runkle. Runkle. Charlie Runkle. And his, uh, well, his ex-girlfriend, Daisy. His ex Porn star girlfriend. Porn star girlfriend. That he left his wife for, who broke up with him. And now he's trying to get back with his wife. She got fake titties, Charlie. Yeah, he gets to touch him a little bit. Because he paid for him. He paid for him, which she's very gracious to do. Yeah, yeah, very gracious. That's fair. Um, and then we get a conversation that uh, I know a few men have had in their lifetimes. Some may be in this room. Some may not. That's all I'm going to say. She basically tells him, uh, I have to tell all my sexual partners uh, I have STDs. And this is as he's trying to get back with his wife. Yes. This is, this is very crushing news. <laughs> Being told you have an STD is uh, always bad news when it's happening when you're in another relationship. <laughs> it's worse news. That's really bad news. Yeah. But I will say this about Daisy. Uh, as flawed as Daisy is, you know what? She tells him in person. That's kind of nice. That's character, dude. That's that's uh, that's that's character. I would I would. Uh, I've only ever gotten a text. I also got a text. (laughs) So I guess we know who the guys in the room are. (laughs) So she's very nice to do that. Even though it sounds like Charlie's got something fucked up going on. She says uh, her vagina right now looks like uh, downtown Baghdad or something. (laughs) So whatever she's got going on, it's bad. Uh, So then we're at a party. We're at a party at, uh, do you remember the character's names, N- name? The boss, Charlie's boss? Sue Collini. Sue Collini, played by Kathleen Turner. She's great in this show, dude. She has a she, whole great arc. She is great in this show. Um, a very open woman. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're at this party. Um, Slaws is still trying to get laid. He, we hear another fucking line from him that I swear, I, I, I must have heard these lines when I was like 12 or 13, you know, when you're reading like dirty jokes. He says to a girl, is your father a lumberjack? Because when I look at you, I get serious wood in my pants. And then she just walks away. Oh, yeah. And Hank walks over. And, like, and the woman's fucking beautiful. Like, yeah. why would you ever fucking say that? Because this her? is like a, a, a swanky L.A. party. Yeah, very like these Sue's are all agent. We so. assume these are all like celebrity, successful people. Hank's literally probably like the most unsuccessful person there. And he's pretty successful. Uh, so, yeah, we see him basically... At least he's swinging, I guess. I guess I got to try to give him some credit. Uh, Then we see Slaws talking to Hank. They have a very important conversation because Slaws is basically saying, well, this is I'll I'll tell you this as a writer, not a successful writer. I'll, I'll say that I make a living from writing, but I'm not Hank fucking Moody. I'm not going to these parties. But uh, 
you always get this conversation from somebody is like, uh, yeah, man, I could do it. I got ideas. He's like, great. Write them. That's what Slaws does. Yeah. He's basically trying to, to downgrade what Hank does. And he's going, you know, fuck it, man. I'll come out here. I got some, I got some screenplay ideas. Why can't I do it? You know? And uh, Hank says some important things because Hank's basically been miserable in L.A. He says, no, man, you did it right. You fucking you got a good woman. You had a family. You know, you started a business. You're a successful guy like he they look at each other. And in both scenarios, it's a grass is greener situation. Yeah, very true. You know, uh, Slaw sees that with Hank, which it's very easy to see why he sees that with Hank, because we also learn he's a failed musician. He was going to leave Long Island with Hank and they were both going to be, you know, Hank was going to be the rock star writer. Slaws was going to be the rock, rock star, period. Yeah. Um, and they're looking out at the skyline of L.A. And the way Slaws is talking about it, he's talking about like it's just this mythic place where like you can accomplish anything. And Hank just dismisses it. He's like, that's a fucking mirage, man. That shit is not real. It is a fucking mirage, dude. Mm hmm. And I think. And that's something that's important to probably realize before you're successful. And Hank doesn't realize that before he's successful. Cause the way Slaws is talking is definitely where Hank was a long time ago. Yeah. Or maybe he fooled himself into thinking he wasn't, but he still was sort of dreaming of he like saw behind the curtain. Yeah. Now he's seen behind the curtain. Now he's like, this is all bullshit, you know? Cause he's like, look at everything I have. Cause he says to him, he's like, Oh, don't give me your Bruce Springsteen working man shit. Hank Moody's like, fuck you, man. I got a, yeah, I got a Porsche, you know, a Porsche that's fucking breaking down. I'm fucking miserable. You know, I got a kid and a fucking, uh, uh, baby mama who won't talk to me. Yeah. So that's a great conversation. Uh, then we go back to Charlie who's now not with Daisy. He's with Marcy, Marcy, his ex-wife kind of wife trying to get back together wife. Uh huh. And they're in some sex room that, uh, and Sue's Sue, Sue has a lot of... Sue's a freak. And by the, by the way, there was that little scene... Oh, with her husband. With her husband. Rip Torn, um, right? No, Stephen Root. Oh, okay. He's in a lot of Coen Brothers movies. I knew I recognized him from somewhere. Yeah, he's in uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He's the guy, um, the blind guy in the station that they sing the song to. You know, he's like, yep, 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 yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he's... he's uh, He's in a, wheelchair. in a wheelchair. He's been married to Sue for 20 something years. They talk about having an open relationship. And, and Charlie had sex with Sue, right? Yeah. That's why he feels awkward. He's yes. like, oh my God, I didn't know you were married. This is awkward. We find out they're in an open relationship. He can't fuck, but, but he's he, a master of the oral. Yeah, master of the oral arts. <laughs> Tells Marcy, you should give him a try. And then Marcy, I love, I love the way she responds. She just looks down. She's like, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. Like she's so uncomfortable. So anyway, they're in this sex room. There's just, uh, sex swings and dildos flying everywhere. I mean, it's all kinds of contraptions, mechanical contraptions. It's the room you hope to walk into with a really hot woman, you know, just to see her response. Like, well, what's up? We just stumbled upon this. I mean, balls in your court. (laughs) So, uh, Or, or you get me too. Well, I'm not saying I, I'm saying I'm, we're at a party and we just walk in, you know, like a relationship like them. Well, even Marcy, she, she's wanting to, to bang. Exactly. See, she, this isn't she, like bringing a girl to a room you have set up where you're like, what's up? Like Dennis from It's Always Sunny. <laughs> yeah, that would be very Dennis. The door just closes and locks on its own. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, Marcy wants to have sex. So it, clearly she's, she's accepted Charlie back. 
and Charlie is very hesitant to, and she said, Got "I feel the like STD. Your, your your boss would be be in, she would approve to a quickie in her house." Yeah, of course she would. And Charlie doesn't want to because he has an STD. She starts poking around like, "Well, what is it? You you, you don't want to fuck right now?" Yeah, and then she's like, "Oh, you don't want to be with me? You need to choose between me and this other woman." And she assumes he's back fucking the porn star. And he does say Daisy came to see me. And there's actually a great Marcy's such a, a kind of assertive character. There's a great moment of innocence from her when she's mad that Daisy came to see him because she assumes Charlie wants to go back with this porn star. And he's like, no, no, no. I said, I only want to be with you. And there's like this look on her face. Like she's kind of proud of him and like feels happy. She's like, really? But then he's got to break the news. Yeah. But we also have STDs now. (laughs) So she gets pissed. She runs off. She says, Charlie, don't bother coming home tonight, which is so... can you blame Charlie? He's already been forgiven for the porn star thing. He can't control the STD thing, right? I mean, I, I understand. I understand. But I just, they're just like Hank and Karen on the show. You just root for them. You know, you just yeah. want them to be together. Yeah. You basically do that for seven seasons. <laughs> which, which the side note, I do love the whole arc of, uh, of Stu Banks. His character when oh, he comes in. Hate Stu Beggs, but I love him too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then we're back to, well, we're back to Slaws and uh, Hank Moody. Uh, Slaws comes running into this room where Hank's playing. He's soaked. He's soaked. He's screaming about, she has a, she has a cock. She has a dick. And apparently this woman that he had hit on before and had responded to it is a transgender woman has a penis and he starts talking about well first he goes she has a cock man and hank's like you sure it's not just an oversized clit (laughs) (laughs) just a great line uh he goes no no no. i know i know what a cock is man and then again you see the difference between them because he says he he hit the woman the second he found out and hank got mad dude he's like that's a human fucking being what are you doing you can't just go around hitting people and he and he gets mad at Hank because he's like, oh, my God, have you gone so fucking L.A.? A chick with a dick doesn't fucking bother you. So it gets a little heated. They well, first, the, the woman comes in. Yes. And she says basically calls us laws gay, says, I think he knew and he's a homophobe. That's why he got really angry. Slaws tries to hit her again. Hank pushes him back. He hits Hank. Well, first, we should say Hank does compliment the woman. Oh, I think you can pass for a woman just fine. Yeah, he says she's. So I, I don't think Hank has a problem with it. Um, yeah, then he hits Hank. They get into a little uh, kerfuffle on top of uh, a pool table. Sue comes in. She diffuses the situation. She's preaching. Uh, you know, we accept people of all shapes and sexual orientations. And she's a very open lady. Very open lady. But we should say too. I mean, Slaws is a fucking. He's just an, I won't call him a bigot, but he's fucking ignorant. He's an East Coast animal. He's literally done three things already in this episode that would land you in jail. Hitting a woman because like hitting a transgender woman. That's a hate crime. That's literally a hate crime. (laughs) Slaws is getting away with a lot because he has Hank with him. Uh, So then after the fight, we go to a strip club. And this is where the Californication fantasy side comes in. What do you mean? Well, it's just like the total glamorized. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sex, drugs, debauchery. I got to assume this is like a high end L.A. strip club. I mean, I'm just saying I'm not saying I've been to a strip club. I'm just saying 
very attractive women at this strip club. Very attractive. I mean, so, uh, and his kind of girlfriend slash student is there because he's teaching college this season. And she's hot. She is Susan Sarandon's daughter, right? Yeah, she's hot. I can't think of her name, but I know she's Susan Sarandon's daughter. Yeah, she's fucking, I mean. A 10. She's a fucking 15. She's fucking amazing. Uh, so anyway, uh, Slaws is getting a lap dance. And this, this girl's very uh, unusual in her lap dance technique. Well, first he asks, uh, do you have a dick? The girl's like, no. And she grabs his hand and puts it on between her legs, which is that. Actually, I was like, I can't believe she would do that. He didn't even pay for like a backroom dance. So then she takes her bra off. She starts like hitting him, like being playful or whatever. And he's got this tit just fucking moving around in his face. He's mesmerized. And then he does something else that literally would get it's sexual assault. He just reaches out and like clings onto this tit like a piranha. Like she can't get him off. He's just sucking on this tit. And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Bouncer has to come over. All of a sudden, we're in another fucking fight. Hank knows Slaws is wrong. Yes. But there is a moment after Slaws has basically started a riot. He asks Hank. Because there's a complete bar fight that breaks Yeah, because he asks, and he asks Hank basically, like, are you with me? And the old Long Island Hank comes out. He's like, fuck it. And they both start fighting. So that's the end of that. Then we wake up in Hank's house. He's with his student slash kind of girlfriend the 15 college student let's just specify that yeah yeah well i said he was he's teaching college okay, this yeah. this season for one semester. which is that that's a whole great arc too and plus i i think not only is she a college student, i think she's actually a little older than the typical college age i mean a she's a stripper but b i think she says at one point she's like in her mid-20s or something yeah. not that it's okay it's still he knows it's wrong uh, so they wake up together. Hank basically walks around the house. Uh, we have a little person walking around because why the With fuck? With huge no? titties. Yeah. She gets up, just drinks a beer. Smeared makeup. Looks at him like he's an asshole. So he goes into one room. He sees Charlie laying with two beautiful naked women. He approves. Then he goes into the living room. He sees Slaws just fucking sloppy drunk, passed out on the floor by himself. So he didn't score. So he goes back to the room. He takes a little pity on Slaws, which this is a questionable decision whether he should have done this. He has his girlfriend go lay next to him. So he thinks, so Slaws will think he got laid. So Slaws, after having his nipple fucking twisted. Yeah, he wakes up and he says to the girl, and this is too where we see his kind of, that he probably hasn't been with a woman in a long time. Because he goes, were we together? She's like, yeah. He's like, was I any good? And she's like, oh, yeah, you were the best. Like, if you have to ask that, you know what I mean? <laughs> the next morning, like, was I any good? Like, even if you were, you just became bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he thinks he scored. You know, he gets up, hugs Hank. They got a little man, man on man chest action going on. And then that's basically it. Then we're at the basically the last part of the episode. We're at the beach. And this is where we have, I think, the second important conversation between Slaws and Hank. And. Slaws basically comes clean about a lot. Well, first he asks Hank, like, you know, we were best buds. Where'd you go? And Hank starts talking about when you got married at such a young age, I stopped talking because I didn't want to see you ruin your life because he's like, we had a plan. But he says that's the way it was back then. It was black and white for me. And he's almost apologizing, saying, like, that's bullshit now. Because he asked, why why didn't you come to my wedding? Mm -hmm. Because he says, and I know that's bullshit now. And, uh, 
then Slaws reveals, well, first he starts talking about life a lot and disappointments. And then he says, uh, there's a great line where he tells Hank that he's sick. And uh, he says he's getting nosebleeds. And he hasn't worried about it. And his wife forced, wanted him to go to the hospital. And that to was, go get some tests. And that was their fight that they had. Yeah. And he reveals like he basically just jumped on a plane, came to L.A. And he has a great line because when he's talking about how sick he, he is, he says, uh, I'm, he says, uh, I'm, I got a, I'm, I got something to deal with sick. I thought that was a great line because yeah. when you have a serious illness, it's like life stops. This is what you're dealing with. And that's why he's kind of pushing it off. Yeah. Uh, and then he, he starts talking about, you know, he's been thinking about Hank and his time with Hank and how it's, it's the best time of his life. And he's saying, I don't care if that makes me a loser. Once upon a time's got to count for something. I love that line. Dude. Which is a great line because like, it's easy to make fun of people who live in the past, but, uh, that line made me go like, all right, I can see some sympathy for the way this guy is. It makes you see sympathy for like, you know, we, obviously there's a lot of people who still talk about like their glory years, you know, yeah. but that line was kind of like, well, I can see why it means something, you know, because maybe they've made a few bad decisions they haven't corrected or maybe they're just in a transitionary point in life like this guy is because we really don't know how miserable Slaws really was before he got diagnosed. He could have been perfectly happy. It sounds like he's a successful guy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, th- uh, go ahead. Well, uh, with with that kind of diagnosis, he's probably having some. Well, he hasn't even had the diagnosis yet. It was just the, the doctor no. saying you got to You got to get it checked out. But it, he's probably running through everything in his mind of his of I, his life. Yeah, I, I think the doctor didn't give him a diagnosis, but the doctor was like, you need to do serious tests because whatever this is needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Could be nothing or something you, that could be dealt with. I'll say yeah. not nothing. Um, or it could be horrible. He could go and find out he's got a brain tumor. That's inoperable and he'll be dead in three months. Yeah. So uh, you start to understand his desperation to come to LA and have this sort of last hurrah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's basically it. Hank, you know, says, uh, you know, you're not going to die, man. And, uh, gives him some encouraging words again, sort of a grass is greener thing. Like, he didn't fuck his life up and, and Hank was wrong about certain things. And th- this is interesting too. I mean, there's a lot of, like we talked about Louie in a previous episode. There's actually an episode on Louie that's really similar to this. And I think most shows that deal with an artist over a long period of time, they do deal with this, which is like someone you knew who was chasing the dream with you when you were young and you maybe left them behind. Whether well, they stopped. Right. They, you either left them behind because you became successful or they stopped and you continued. And there's always going to be resentment there. So I thought that that's an, that's just an endlessly interesting idea. I don't really have any answers for that. And I mean, I know people who have said they want to be artists and they've kind of given up on it, but we're also at such a young age that it really, it hasn't sunk in in the way that it's sunk in for someone like Slaws. Yeah. Where it's almost like, you know, he had a point where he was like, it's too late to change, you yeah. know, because eventually he, you got kids to support, you got whatever. Well, the one line that I liked that he said was, I wish I knew the moment where it all changed. Yeah. When he was talking to Hank about that, and that's mm-hmm. when we were talking about the wedding and all that shit. And I, I just thought that was was interesting because life has a way of just kind of passing you by and these life changing moments happen. And you don't necessarily recognize. Yeah. That that's what it is, that it puts you on a different uh, course. 
Yeah, well, a lot of times you don't recognize a major change in life until it's already been in your life for a little while. Yeah. You know, these big changes happen and you wish you had the 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 foresight to be able to be in that moment and have some wisdom, but the wisdom comes after the moment. Yep. You know, and I think Slaws is dealing with the tragedy of that. And I think with Slaws, the major the major regret he does have is because he didn't have that foresight and because that wisdom comes too late. He's now looking at Hank and he's like, Hank continued to do what he was doing. So even if Hank wasn't successful, but he was still a writer, just living in some fuckhole apartment in New York, Mm -hmm. I think he would still have the same feeling. Yeah. This would be the same sort of trip. Yeah. Um, Just a lot less glamorous. And the the strip club would be... (laughs) A little more rundown. Oh, yeah, a little grosser. <laughs> but he would still have the same feelings about Hank. I think that's the main thing is that they stopped being friends and that Hank basically continued this journey and he didn't. And Hank, we find out in the show, I, I can't remember if they ever talk about how old he is, but we get the idea that he was a little later in life success because he had two, I think two or three books published before God Hates Us All. And God Hates Us All wasn't big until it got turned into a movie. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of like a cult writer. He was making a living, but he wasn't like glamming it up at parties and stuff. It's kind of like uh, Chuck Palahniuk once Fight Club hit it big. That's how I picture his career. Because yeah. Chuck Palahniuk was 35, 38. I may be pulling that out of my ass when Fight Club was published. And Fight Club was his first book and hit. And I imagine that was kind of around the age that Hank hit. Yeah. So I think that frustrates Slaws too, because maybe in a in an, in another timeline he could have been at least looking at Hank and been like, well, at least I make more money than him. You know what I yeah. mean? So that kind of rubs it in. So they have that great conversation, and I don't think there are any real answers that come from it. It's just two old men kind of looking back at a lot of regrets because they both have regrets. Because Hank says, you know, I wish I wasn't so black and white in my thinking back then. So then we're back at the airport. We get. Another great switch. He's dropping Slaws off, seeing his daughter. His old life. Yeah, dropping off his old life and getting his new life, yeah. Well, his current life. His current life, And when he's striving to be his new life. Yeah, that's a really good point, yeah. And when he drops Slaws off, we also find out Slaws, uh, his wife, also left after their fight, went to Atlantic City with a bunch of girlfriends. And she, he said she doesn't even know that I'm probably gone right now. Well, he's like, uh, you know, she's probably fucking fucking trannies too. Yeah, yeah. I thought that said something important too. Hank, this says more about him as a character. He has a tendency to over-romanticize things, which I think is what brought him to LA. But I think he's also over-romanticizing his friend's life. He's doing the exact same thing he did, which is why he's so miserable. And that's the journey through the show is he has to realize that he's the problem. That's why he says at one point he goes in this episode, he goes, I didn't belong in Long Island. But then he goes, but fuck, I don't belong out here either. Yeah, I Um, did like that. Because obviously Slaws, we don't know how his relationship is. But if you're in a relationship where like you're running to L.A. to fuck somebody and your wife's running to Atlantic City to probably fuck somebody, probably not the best relationship. Yeah. Not something to be romanticizing. But anyway, they end on good terms. He says, you know, come, come and see me. The kids have Hank Moody stories and they need to put a face to the name. He leaves, like you said, his current life comes in and the life he wants back. Cause he's technically not with his baby mama. He's not with Karen. Well, he doesn't know that she's going to be there at first. Cause it's just Becca. She shows his up. His daughter. She silent. gets in the backseat. Doesn't say shit. Mm-hmm. She's just pissed off. 
And then uh, he's talking to her and like, Karen, I'm not your chauffeur. What are you doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Karen, Karen says something. And we should say Beck is a teenager. Yeah, so she's it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. You know, not getting hugs or I love yous or anything. Yeah. And it's affecting Hank. You know, he's, he's, he's yeah. kind of like busting her trough. He's, he's a, he's a sentimental guy. Yeah, he is. Um, and yeah, then Hank shows up. I mean, uh, Karen shows up, excuse me. Uh, and that's kind of his surprise and they hug and kiss and that's the end of the episode. Then he's with, the people that he loves, he's with his family, which is what he wants. He doesn't want this bullshit L.A. stuff. He wants that thing he's over romanticizing that he thinks Slaws has. And maybe Slaws has on some level. Just people he loves. So anyway, any theories on why it's called Slow Happy Boys? I still have no theory. I'm a fucking idiot. I mean, maybe that they're both. They're both in their own ways in some sort of arrested development. Yes. So slow, happy boys. I would say that like they're slow to grow. They're boys. They're both happy. Is that oversimplifying? Are they happy? I think uh, they both pursue happiness. They have what other people would look at and say is happiness. And they look at each other and see what should be happiness. What's interesting is that I don't think it's slow comma happy boys no it's just straight slow happy boys Mm -hmm. so maybe their journey to happiness is slow because they're boys yeah boom This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.